Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. It's Mike. Wanted to let you know what it is you're going to be listening to today. Claude Call, who is the host of the How Good It Is podcast, which I've featured recently in some of my spots during our episodes, contacted me not long ago and asked me to be a guest on his show to talk about Gordon Lightfoot's song Sundown. So what you're going to be hearing is excerpts from that discussion. This is a little bit of a departure for Carefree Highway Revisited. We will be coming back to the normal format in the next week or so. Deb Radwan will be back on with me one more time to wrap up our mini-series on autobiographical songs, and we'll be looking at Ordinary Man. But today you're going to be hearing a crossover. So, happy listening. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a, a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? So we are talking about sundown here, which. I'm not going to say it was my entry to Gordon Lightfoot, because I do remember, if you could read my mind, I was you know, about seven when that record came out. But that said, I think that was most Americans' entry to Gordon Lightfoot. And at the same time, he had been around for several years. And I was actually surprised to learn that Sundown, the album, was his 10th, which came as a little bit of a surprise to me. He'd been in the industry since 66, but most of his work, you're right, Claude, it had been charting in Canada and maybe a little bit in the UK, but it hadn't made a huge dent until this. This is the only album of his that got to number one in both the US and Canada, and I think it actually hit number one on the same day in both countries. It has a whole lot of other achievements to it. We can talk about those later if you want. But yeah, this was when people really first got their taste of Gordon Lightfoot. And then for the following three or four years, I mean, he was everywhere in the American pop charts. And then probably about 79 is when his popularity began to wane a little bit. Yeah, although this was his one and only number one in the United States. Correct. Both the single and the album of the same name both made it to number one in the U.S. and, of course, in Canada. Of course, he'd done that in Canada before, but this is the first one in the U.S. That's right. Or the only one in the U.S. Now, we have different approaches to the songs that we cover on our respective shows. You've got a little bit more of a fan thing going on. I've listened to a few of your episodes, not all of them yet, but a few. <laughs> and the one I was particularly interested in was the uh, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, since I had already done that episode. <laughs> Oh, okay. Very cool. That was way back, like I think episode sixteen. I want to say it was. It was. Oh, it goodness. was. It was early in the show's run, and I remember that song being just all over the radio. And that was, right. you know, in the the winter of that year. Being a kid, and at that point, I would have been like ten or eleven, something like that. That you've got this sound, and it's got this like sea chanty type of feel to it, and just yeah. the way the 
the guitars kind of ring out and the overall sound of the whole thing. And didn't realize as a kid that it was a very, very recent event. For whatever reason, I took the story to be true, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it was something that happened last year. You know, and that that yeah. caught me a little bit by surprise. Um, now he's not known for doing things. He, he's not an overly political songwriter in that in his career. It, there haven't been too many times where a news story just smacks him in the face and he's just absolutely compelled to do something about it. But given the fact that this happened on the Great Lakes, it happened relatively close to home for him and that there were so many people in both that part of the States and in Canada that cared about it so much. I think it makes perfect sense that he wanted to talk about that, not in a protest sense, because it's a tragedy. It's not something that, you know, any government did, but I thought it was a great piece of art. And I know that people have had different reactions to it over the past. I mean, some people have just said, that's the way you clear out a party is that you put on, you know, the wreck (laughs) of the Edmund Fitzgerald and people start heading for the exits. But it also means a lot, obviously, to the families of the 29 men who were killed there. And the fact that the bodies were never found also says something about, I mean, it does add a mystery to it, although there's scientific reasons why that happened. But yeah, I think wreck was probably his second. It is the most often played song at his concerts. Number two is Sundown. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, he's played it in concert, according to setlist.fm. He's played it 982 times in concert, and he will undoubtedly be playing it at his shows this weekend at Massey Hall. Yeah. Oh, and incidentally, this week was his birthday, was it not? Yes, it was. He's just 83 years young. Wow. And he's still touring, and he came out with a solo album not long ago. So he is likely to crack the thousand performance mark on that song. Oh, I have no doubt. I mean, assuming that the dates that had to be canceled because of either COVID or because of his wrist procedure, assuming those dates are all played off, he'll hit a thousand. Yes. All right. Now let's get into Sundown the Song specifically. I've heard a couple of different interpretations. Most of them seem to center around a troubled relationship that he had with somebody. And there are differing opinions as far as who that is. Now, based on like my research, I've got my thoughts. I'd like to hear yours in that respect. But I also heard a different interpretation. And I want to get into that in a little bit. So let's start with the girl. Kathy Smith. Um, I think most people who have looked up or have heard any comments that Lightfoot has made about it believe that the song is about Kathy Smith. Now, Kathy Smith really cut quite a figure in the pop scene in the 1970s. She was with Lightfoot for a couple of years. I think they were living together. And the fact that she was also singing on other people's albums at the time really made Lightfoot angry. At one point, he chewed her out saying, you know, what are you doing? You're living in my house and you're working for the competition. Are you crazy? (laughs) But one night in 73, I think Lightfoot was at home writing songs and he was smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of coffee and probably drinking a lot of scotch whiskey. And he was just thinking that I wonder where my woman is, where Kathy is. Apparently she'd driven into Toronto to go partying with people. And so it's this kind of paranoid kind of menacing song that says, you know, if anybody tries to muscle in on my woman, watch it. And given the fact that Kathy Smith was 
pretty striking. Many people would have considered her beautiful. And the fact that she was apparently an incurable flirt and had already messed around on Gordon at least once by the time this song came out, it makes perfect sense that he would write it the way he did. So that's the most generally accepted explanation for the song. What was the alternative one that you had heard about? Basically that he wasn't talking about a girl, but that he was talking about his alcohol problem. And that's evidenced in some of the lines about like, I think it's a shame when I get feeling better when I'm feeling no pain. And similarly, I think it's a sin when I feel like I'm winning when I'm losing again. And, and both of those refer to like the state of being inebriated. Yeah. There is absolutely an allusion to that, okay, that he knows in that line, sometimes I think it's a shame when I get feeling better when I'm feeling no pain. He knows he's drinking too much. And he knows that a lot of that has been brought on by this woman. I mean, coming back to this idea that it is about a girl. And then sometimes I think it's a sin when I feel like I'm winning when I'm losing again. This guy feels trapped. He's obviously deeply in love with this woman, but he can't control her. He said later that she was too much to handle. And so I think the song really illustrates, I do happen to think it is about her, but I think it also illustrates the trap that he's feeling as a result of what he's let his heart get into. And that comes back to that line that says, getting lost in the loving is your first mistake. We'll be right back to our crossover episode with How Good It Is and host Claude Call and our discussion of Sundown in just a moment. Now, a word from one of our podcast partners. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is as, and I'm double checking the dates, as an 11-year-old listening to that, what do I know about women, right? Right. And, yeah. and at the same time, there's, there's really nothing in the song that says this is a beautiful woman, that this is a very attractive woman. I mean, you got looking like a queen, hard-loving woman, that kind of thing. But there's nothing that really goes into a specific description of, like, you know, feminine pulchritude, as it were. And yet, the woman that I had in my head listening, 11-year-old me listening to this song, had a very, very beautiful woman. And in fact, even though it says something about her wearing jeans, I have a girl in jean shorts in my head. Always did. <laughs> It's, like Daisy Dukes? No, maybe not quite that short, but yeah, pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be apropos for around the time that this came out. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had not thought of her as being beautiful when I listened to the song. Now, I was much younger than you were, you know, when I first heard it. But I think there's no doubt that this woman is sexy. Mm -hmm. And we know that beautiful and sexy are not always synonymous. They may be. A woman can be beautiful. She can be sexy. She can be both. But I think 
this person was not a classic beauty, but was certainly somebody who was provocative. And we know that Lightfoot has talked about beautiful women. I mean, he wrote a song called Beautiful. He wrote a song called Approaching Lavender, which is about someone who's clearly just absolutely gorgeous. But this is a song where he's talking about somebody who's seductive, irrespective of whether somebody would think of her as conventionally beautiful. Yeah. Let's get into the to the sound of the song and the personnel who played on it. I, I think one of the things that's striking about it, it's not a flashy song musically and yet that guitar kind of grabs you and i'm thinking specifically of the electric guitar that you get during the bridge and and you know sprinkled here and there you know like i said it's not flashy but man it has an effect on you 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 really dig it yeah it sets a good mood for the song the album lists that red shea played the lead electric guitar. And Red was one of Gordon's original sidemen, then left the band and Terry Clemens became the lead guitarist. But then Red returned. And so Red Shea and Terry Clemens shared lead guitar for a while uh, as part of Lightfoot's backup band. Red Shea is listed as playing the lead electric guitar on the 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 song. And you're right that it is not one of those things where you look and say, oh man, this guy is Peter Townsend or uh, Jimmy Page or somebody who's just really an artist, you know, who's just absolutely blowing you away with this lick. It's very tasty, but it's Mm -hmm. not fretboard wizardry, I guess what I would say. The other part of the guitar is just the fact that Lightfoot's 12 string just fills up that track all the way through. So the producer just balanced this so perfectly. And they knew apparently that it was going to be a hit from the night they recorded it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really carries the whole thing along is the bass. The whole thing just kind of rides on that. I mean, that you barely hear the drums. Not It's not that you don't, but you don't really even think of this as a typical you know, rock set with the bass and the drums pairing up to form the rhythm section. You've got that bass and then you've got, as you say, the 12 string and then you've got the electric guitar going on. And oh, yeah, maybe there are drums here, too. But I think the bass is really the bed that the whole thing really lies on. You know, it's interesting that you mention both the bass and the drums. The bass player on this one is John Stockfish, who was Lightfoot's original bass player. He would leave the band, um, and he may have returned just for this particular recording, but John Stockfish was the original bass player. The thing about the drums is that up until this time, Lightfoot had not used a drummer on live performances at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in promoting Sundown and in subsequent albums, he was going to use a drummer. And in this particular case, it was Jim Gordon. And Gordon was never officially part of Lightfoot's backup band. He was more of a session guy, although I'm sure he went on tour with him at some point or another. And talking about tragic ironies, I mean, Jim Gordon would later write Layla with Eric Clapton and then be accused of murdering his mother. And right now he's incarcerated someplace in Northern California. I think he's a paranoid schizophrenic. That's right. Uh, I do remember that story. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jim Gordon, I mean, he was a great drummer, but the, the drums don't drive the song. I think if, as you were saying, it's the bass and the 12 string that really do it. 
We'll be right back to our crossover episode with How Good It Is and host Claude Call and our discussion of Sundown in just a moment. Now, a word from one of our podcast partners. Are you a fan of true crime, cults, conspiracies, and all things sinister? Then tune in with me, your host, Steph, every week for a new episode of the Sinister Story Hour. You can find the Sinister Story Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, you know, speaking of which, when you mentioned tragedy, we we have to talk about what happened with uh, Kathy. For the sake of brevity, we, we've talked about her relationship with Lightfoot. That ended for obvious reasons. And then she went to work for Hoyt Axton for a while. She did sing on this album. Kathy Smith did sing on the number two track on this album. She sang on the song High and Dry. Mm-hmm. But she uh, you know, went to work for Hoyt Axton and other acts. Then she ended up in the company of John Belushi. And the saddest part of that, of course, was that it was Kathy Smith who injected John Belushi with speedballs the night he overdosed at the Chateau Marmont. She did 15 months in uh, prison for that. And then after she got out of prison, she led kind of a peripatetic life bouncing all over the place. I believe she's since passed away. But Kathy Smith was, I think, probably the best word I can use for her is volatile because she did, as we've said earlier, really make a mark on the pop world. And she would probably be an interesting person to do a um, like a true Hollywood story or something on that. I'd like to see a documentary done of her. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, this also shows that although there was a tumultuous relationship and they did break up and it was almost certainly because he had his issues and she probably had hers and so forth. As I understand it, he actually paid for her defense at her trial, did he not? Well, I know that he had been involved in assisting her. I don't remember Mm -hmm. if he'd actually paid for the defense, although that may very well be the case. They did stay in contact on and off for years. But it wouldn't surprise me if Lightfoot paid for her defense because she probably couldn't have paid for it herself. Now, let me, let me ask you about covers of the song. Are there are there any that you particularly like? Well, it's very hard for me to listen to covers once you've listened to the genuine article. Mm-hmm. There have been some really notable ones. There's a hard rock band called Clawhammer that covered the song back in 1990. And they actually sat down with Lightfoot and played their version. And Lightfoot said, not bad. (laughs) You know, he was actually really impressed with that. There was one by a group called Elwood that turned it into a hip hop song that came out in July of 2000. And a lot of people were expecting that Lightfoot wasn't really going to like it. Well, I'm sure he didn't object to the royalty checks, but, you know, (laughs) I've also heard that he was, you know, kind of blown away by that. Some others that I thought were kind of interesting, and there have been just about 60 covers of this as of right now. Toby Keith did this on a live album. Scott Walker did it in the 70s. Ray Conniff has done it. Percy Faith, believe it or not. Uh, Trini Lopez, John McLaughlin, who I believe is a very well-known interpreter of Lightfoot's music. 
but the ones that I'm most intrigued by would have been the one by Clawhammer and the ones by uh, Elwood. Have you heard any covers that you thought were particularly interesting? None that you haven't already mentioned, uh, but I, I am kind of intrigued. I saw a list of covers and that there is one version that was done in French that I'm kind of curious to hear. And I may actually have to include a clip just because I'm curious and wondering how faithful to the original it is. That's one of the things I dig about covers is they need to be kind of faithful to the original and at the same time put a really interesting spin on it that elevates it somehow. And I'll give you an example. Like I would think like Tainted Love, which most people don't even realize is a cover, but it's actually it's a very faithful cover of Gloria Jones B-side song from what was it, 1965. But it's got this techno spin on it. But if you listen to the two side by side, you're like, okay, clearly Mark Allman listened to this one very carefully before he went and recorded his version. And that's what I like to see in a good cover. Yeah, the parallel that I think of is the Black Crows doing Hard to Handle, which had been done by Otis Redding. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... You know, they really did study up on it. The Bangles doing white, Hazy Shade of Winter, you know, off the Simon and Garfunkel version. Um, the French version of the Lightfoot song that you're mentioning, I think is called L'amour c'est comme l'été. Right. Which I think means love is like the summer. Yes. You know, it's on a compilation album by Marie-Ève Janvier and Jean-Francois Brault. And I have not heard it, but I think we do definitely need to go back and get a clip yeah, I think just out of more morbid curiosity, if it's if it's not any good, then yeah, I'll put it on the website as a as a link, and you can go listen to it on your own. But if it's right, pretty, right, if it's pretty good, you know. you'll be listening to it right now. Do you, do you have anything else that uh, I've overlooked on this? Hey, we've covered a lot of material in the twenty odd minutes that we've been chatting together here. Well, a couple of things that I found out that are just sort of interesting tidbits. Lightfoot actually appeared on Saturday Night Live, and he was supposed to sing this song. And the skit that was set up for it was that Lorne Michaels runs in and says, no, Gordon, you're only supposed to sing two songs. And then in comes, guess who? John Belushi (laughs) in his Samurai album, and he starts cutting the strings off of Lightfoot's 12-string. Lightfoot went along with it. Uh, So that was kind of, you know, might have been if he had had a chance to play that. So I don't think he actually played that on Saturday Night Live, but he might have. And then the other thing that I thought of with this is that to me, the title is so perfect because I can't imagine listening to the song at any other time of day. But to listen to it at sundown where... It's a mysterious time of day anyway, as day is turning into night and you're not really sure, you know, what is going to be happening as it gets darker and darker and darker. And it may very well have been written as the sun was going down, but I can tell you that that's my favorite time of the day to listen to it. Let me ask you this. I mean, since we've talked about our, you know, affections for it as young children, why do you listen to it today? I mean, is it just rooted in your original sort of affection for it? Or do you listen to it today through the ears of somebody else? Uh, you know what? It's, it's a little of column A and a little of column B. I mean, yes, I do have a certain nostalgic affection for it. I mean, this was the period where I really first started to collect and buy records of my own. And and I've mentioned this before on my show. My mom was kind of young. Okay. You know, she was 19 when she had me, which it was typical then and not so typical now. And so 
we wound up being relatively close in age so that she was still listening to a lot of pop music stations. And so I grew up listening to songs and having memories of some songs being all over the radio and then learning later on, yeah, you were four at the time, you were five, you know, like that. (laughs) Wow, really? (laughs) So there is a little bit of that, just me and mom listening to some of these songs. I think also as I've gotten older and gotten a little bit more appreciation for some of the intent behind the lyrics, because he's not really spelling out things about like, you know, this is potentially an unfaithful woman. He gets that like creeping around the back stair kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. I've been in relationships like that. And now I understand a little bit more deeply what he might have been feeling. Uh, Maybe I wasn't blind drunk at the time, but I still had that times when my woman is out somewhere and I have no idea where she is and it's making me just a little bit crazy because she's probably in a bar somewhere. She might not necessarily be flirting with anyone, but she's certainly having a lot more fun than I'm having right now. And so, yeah, I've gained a new appreciation for the song in that respect. So, Claude, where can my listeners find your show? Well, you can find the show at howgooditis.com. And then I have a Twitter and Instagram presence at howgooditispod. I also have a second show that it's actually been around about a year, but it hasn't got a lot of traction yet. It's called Words and Movies, which I do with a friend of mine from Brooklyn, New York. We basically take two different films and we try to find a common thread between them. And that's that's a lot of fun to do. Oh, I'll bet. That does sound very intriguing. Awesome sauce. Well, I really loved our conversation today, Claude. Thanks for making time tonight. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for for joining me tonight. I can see her lying back in her satin dress In a room where you do what you don't confess Sundown, you better take care If I find you then creeping around my backstairs Sundown 